Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So, I was in Kentucky and I was at an event after it was over, we were walking downtown, and we walked past the Hard Rock Cafe, and a band was going to be playing called Soul Circus, and so I turned to my friend, and I said, hey man, you want to see what this band's like? And he's like, sure. It's about 9 p.m. The band started to play, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this very tall, um, scraggly-haired poorly dressed, cigar smoking, lusting after everything he could see, dancing guy. And he took a big old puff of that cigar and he followed it with a big old drink of whatever was in his cup. And then he spits this nasty, big, white, mucusy something out of his mouth, and it just splatters everywhere on the floor. That was disgusting. I'd entertained thoughts of talking to him, but now this really just turned my stomach. And to be honest with you, the more I looked at him, the more the spit reminded me that that's what he was like. I was thinking about that, you know, how would you like your face to have been rubbed in that spit? What if you'd been forced to drink it? You're saying that's just sickening. And you're doing this before we have lunch? Well, that's my way of helping you forget about lunch and listen to me. I mean, think about it right now, spit. Just think about that. Just think about it. Swallowing somebody else's spit. Just, just think with me. Think about drinking it or thinking about having it just rubbed all over your face. Now, if you're there with me, that's what comes to my mind when I think of the word defiled. Defilement, pollution, it's corruption, it's being stained, it's being destroyed, it's being made unclean. The opposite, we could say, of defilement is being clean and being fresh or being whole or being right. I guess maybe in a room this size, I could ask this question. It may trigger some things, and you know that's never been my intent, but have you ever been defiled by somebody? So my heart breaks for you, and I would probably be in your midst. I know what it's like to be defiled by another person. If you're here today and you've been defiled, you probably are dealing with things like I deal with, issues of trust with people, anger, loss, false guilt, shame, embarrassment, depression, loss of your identity, 
hatred for people who would do that. Maybe you're mad at God or you blame God for not stopping it. You just disbelieve that there's a God. Maybe you have physical consequences of being defiled. Maybe there's disease. Maybe there's loss of friends or family. Maybe it's social awkwardness. Maybe you don't think that you're beautiful. Or maybe you just carry around this title that you're one of those people. You ever been defiled? I guess maybe the question I would follow up with is, if you've ever been completely and utterly defiled, would you like to be made permanently clean? I mean, like, as if it never really happened. You would say to me, and most people that I talk to on a daily basis would say this, when I say, have you ever been defiled, they would say, "Mm, probably not, I don't think so. And this is where I have to interject and say, well, whether you've ever been physically defiled or not, the Bible tells us that we're all defiled. Sin has defiled every single person within the sound of my voice. But Jesus can make us whole. If you're here this morning and you want to find cleansing from any and all of your sin, its effects, its control, its shame, its guilt, its nastiness, I want to ask you to please hang on to the very end of this message. I want us to look to God's Word this morning and I want us to learn some principles about defilement. So I wonder this morning if you take a copy of God's Word and turn it to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's a couple of Bibles underneath the seats maybe around you. If there isn't one in a seat around you, just ask somebody to find one and they'll pass it to you. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the fourth book in the Bible. You open the Bible up and you kind of start, and then you just kind of go to the fourth book. You'll see some numbers and some letters, and you'll see these names of books at the very top and the top margin. Just turn that till you get to Numbers, and then turn to Numbers chapter 5. Now because God is going to speak through His Word, I'm just going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 5, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp, every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. The sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp just as the Lord had spoken to Moses, thus the sons of Israel did. You may be seated, and I ask the Lord to bless His Word. So I know a couple of things you're probably thinking this morning. So why are we reading this, and why are we here, and what does the Old Testament have to do with me? You may be here this morning thinking that, you know, Numbers is a history book, and so why are we studying history? Or maybe you're like, I've read Numbers, and it's really depressing because it's a about a bunch of people just behaving badly. That's kind of what we could say. 
Honestly, I would tell you that if you were to read the book of Numbers, you would find that the USA is on the same track as everybody in the book of Numbers. Very, has crazy stories. I mean, read the book of Numbers, you're going to see some crazy stuff. It has some very bizarre laws. It's got these funky rituals that nobody knows what to do with, and, and they're all seemingly unconnected. But I'm here today to tell you that the book of Numbers and the passage we read today has divine logic and purpose and explains to us things that we need to know about God, things that we need to know about ourselves, but most importantly, things that we need to know about Jesus. But, but see, I want you to see the connection already. I want to kind of point it out for you because you may have missed it as we went through the book of 1 Corinthians. So I want to take you back to 1 Corinthians and let you know that everything that was written down in the book of Numbers is for our good here today. You're saying, well, where do you get that? Well, read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-13. through 13. He says, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers, who were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was what? Or who was that rock? Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. Now, watch. Those things happened as examples for who? Do you see the connection? So what's happening in Numbers? It's been written down as an example for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they indeed craved them, do not be idolaters, as some there's, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor are we to commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day, or nor are we to put the Lord to test, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. No grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for whose instruction? Upon whom the ends of the earth have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall. No temptation has overcome you except something common to mankind. God is faithful so that he will allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. These, example, these, these events are examples to us written down to teach us. Verses 5 and 6, he says an example for us. Verse 11, he says it's written down for our instruction. So now let's go back and now read Numbers 5 with that in mind. This has been written for our instruction. So, so what are we supposed to learn? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they send them away from the camp, everyone with leprosy, everyone having a discharge, everyone who is unclean because of the contact with a dead person. You shall send them away, both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that they do not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. The sons of Israel did so and sent them outside the camp. Just the Lord spoken to Moses. This is what the sons of Israel did. So, so what are we supposed to learn? I mean, this is really hard stuff. I mean, here you are. You're a faithful Israelite. You love God with all your heart. You're thankful to him that you've been redeemed out of the Egypt bondage. You are traveling on your way to the promised land. You believe Moses and you believe that he taught the word of God. You're worshiping the living God. You've turned your back from idolatry, but now you have become defiled. And it has nothing to do with being your own fault. You have a discharge that you couldn't control. And because of that, you are expelled from the camp. 
You contacted leprosy, maybe through no fault of your own, and you've done really nothing wrong, and you find yourself outside the camp. Or you've come into contact with something or someone that has a discharge that's defiled you and you're excluded. Somebody you love has died and you contacted their dead body out of love and out of grief and anguish. And here you find yourself defiled and expelled from the camp. This seems so harsh. How could this God do this? It seems so unloving of God, so uncaring of God, so unkind of God. So really then what is going on in these laws? I mean, really, what are these laws about? Why command them? Why teach them? Well, there's three things. I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot view, and then we're going to drop down. Three things that they're really personal. There's a really personal and practical reason for these laws. Secondly, there's a powerful theological reason for these laws. And thirdly, there's a pointedly Christological reason for these laws. So let's jump in. Let's handle the practical reason, and that is this. Sin's defilement carries personal consequences. Sin's defilement carries personal consequences. Think about this with me just for a moment. There's a very practical reason we should study, know, and obey this because in that day there were no antibiotics. There was no modern medicine, which is the common grace of, of God. Contact with a skin disease, contact with a dead body, or contact with a, with a discharge would have spread infection through the camp like crazy. Two million people living in this camp this infection that, that they may have obtained from a discharge or touched with a dead body could have killed hundreds of thousands of people. It's a very practical reason, God says, that this, you have to be expelled. This sending outside the camp was basically a quarantine, and it was the only way that they could deal with this. And as hard as that may have seemed to send a loved one out of the camp, God is caring for the hundreds of thousands of others who may not be defiled. God in His kindness is practically taking care of hundreds of thousands of people. God always has His reasons and His purpose for everything because God is good, wise, and always kind. You have to remember that behind this scene is something else, and that is this, that my sin never just affects me. My sin never just affects me. It spreads like wildfire. And it always affects other people. You and I never sin in isolation. Never. For now, know that God in His pastoral care is protecting thousands of lives when He sends these outside the camp. It's hard, and it's hard to understand, but God is good. God is wise, and God is kind. And according to Calvin, God not merely acted as a physician to the body, He was acting as a physician of their souls. And we'll get to that in a moment. They were to be sent outside the camp. In other words, think this, outside of heaven, outside the blessings of God, outside the people of God, and they couldn't do anything to change it. They were rendered ceremonially unclean. They could not worship. They could not come near the tabernacle or come near their brothers and sisters. They couldn't offer sacrifices to appease the wrath of God. There was nothing they could do but just suffer the wrath of defilement. Of all the ceremonial laws here, there was nothing offered for a cure for this. The only thing was told what you could do once it happened and how to keep it from spreading. There was no cure. So God is telling us, and I'm telling you, that our sin, my sin, your sin, it has serious personal consequences for which there is no cure. 
That seems strange and harsh, but let's keep going. Remember I told you, stick with me to the end. The second thing is this. Not only does does sin's defilement contain these, these personal consequences, but sin's defilement contains powerful communication. See, this lesson's not only practical, but it's also theological because it tells us about God. So what is it communicating about God? First of all, I want you to see this. It's telling us that God is holy. The defilement laws in Numbers and Deuteronomy to teach us that God is not defiled and He cannot dwell with those who are. He is holy. He is holy in that He is separate from all defilement. I mean, why were these people sent away? Look there in verse 3 again. You shall send away both male and female. You shall send them outside the camp so that, here's your reason, they will not defile their camp where I dwell in their midst. God says, listen, they have to go outside because I am holy and they are not and they have to go. I will not and I cannot dwell where there is sin and defilement. I can't do it. They're defiled and they must go outside the camp. You see, in the law of Moses, there are many ways the doctrine of sin is taught. In Moses' writing, sin is often taught as transgression or the breaking of the law, transgressing the law. You and I do this by, by omission. In other words, we, we don't do what the law says, or we do it through commission that we do something the law says not to do. But that's not only the way that the law uh, is taught and sin is described in the book of Moses. It's also taught in the book of Moses as defilement. Sin is defilement. Sin defiles you in that it brings about something that God never intended when he created you. Adam and Eve thought that they would get equality with God and they transgressed God's laws, but instead of getting freedom and life, they got what? They got defilement and death. Over and over and over, we see in Numbers that that sin is defilement. We get a picture of what defilement does with our communion with God and what it does with communion with other people. It excludes you from both. The same is true for you and I. You see, when I sin and when you sin, we think that we may have freedom and experience life the way it's meant to be and just can kind of do our own thing, but we become defiled and experience death in ways we never imagined. Some of you may be here today and you'd say, not me, I'm living my life to the fullest sin or what it is, whatever you want to call it. I don't need your Jesus. And can I just tell you today, that's the worst kind of death because you're walking dead, man, and don't even know it. And these laws of exclusion, we get a picture of what defilement does to our communion with God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were excluded from the garden and the presence of God. You're saying, well, I don't really know, Steve. I don't really know, Dr. Brown. I don't really know. I don't know. Well, Revelation is talking about heaven. Revelation 21, and it tells us there about heaven, it says that nothing unclean will enter heaven. Revelation 21.8, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and sexually immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But then he goes on in Revelation 21, 27, wrapping up the whole book, and he says, and nothing unclean. You could translate our word, and nothing or no one who has been defiled. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know why? Because God is holy. 
and sin can't dwell in His presence. Defilement and exclusion. Defilement is moral. It points to the disease of moral defilement. Those who are morally defiled cannot dwell with God. Moral defilement excludes us eternally. God is holy, and God must be treated as holy. He is not defiled, and defiled can't be with him. Think about it. Think about it with me just for a moment. Even Moses' sister was affected by this. Miriam, Moses' sister, undermined, undermined Moses... And as a result, she got leprosy and was excluded from the camp. Even though Miriam had done great things for God, she was a prophetess for God. She led in song and praise at the Red Sea. But Miriam, because she defiled God's law to honor God's man, she was excluded because she obtained leprosy. So God says, you will treat me as holy. You will. So outside the camp with you, that's what God says about our defilement. Because God is holy. But, but what else is it communicating? It's also communicating that God is present. I mean, God is present with his people in that camp. It's strange. It's the paradox. But this is the great blessing. God says, I'm not going to destroy the children of Israel He tells Moses, he says, I'm just going to have you guys go there into the promised land, but you can't go with me. And Moses said, listen, listen, God, if you don't go with us, you're our treasure, you're our hope, you're our inheritance. God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. So what's the principle then? Where does God dwell? He dwells in the midst of his camp with his people. You remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is purposing to build a, a temple for the Lord. He's like, God, I've got a big old house. I want to build you a big old house. And I'm just going to build you this, this big temple. And God says, when in all the journeys have I lived in a house? When my people were living out in the wilderness, where did I live? He says, I lived in a tent right in the midst of them. I dwell in a tent inside the camp. So God's presence is manifested in the camp. So pay attention to me very carefully. Because God is dwelling in the camp, we have to take sin seriously. If you were a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you had better take sin seriously. The sacrificial animals had to be taken outside the camp because they are defiled now. Because God is in the camp. The refuse had to be taken outside the camp because God is present. Those with leprosy, discharges, or dead bodies had to be taken outside the camp. Why? Because God was present. And I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit of God is in your camp, be careful what you allow in the camp with you. It's also communicating not only God is holy, but God is present. But thirdly, God has spoken. I mean, you think about this. You've got a 14-year-old born son, and all of a sudden he has a discharge. And the priest comes to you and said, well, I know you love your son, but he's got to go outside the camp. The father says, well, if God has said it, I guess we have to obey it. And as he sends his son outside the camp, he says, son, listen, God is holy. 
We have to do this, but I know God will protect you somehow. I know God will make it right somehow. Think about it. Your wife has con- contacted. She's got leprosy. She's got, she's got this horrible skin disease, and the priest comes to you and says, listen, I know, I know you love this woman. I know you care for her, and I know she's been an awesome lady and, and wife to you, but listen, she has leprosy, and she's got to go outside the camp. And if it was my wife, I'd begin to beg the priest, no, not her, send me, please send me. No, not her, send me. But, but the Bible says in Numbers chapter 4, it says, 5, 4, it says, the sons of Israel did so. What did they do? They did exactly what God said for them to do because God had spoken. I mean, would you have obeyed? I'm here today to tell you, church, that we have to live by this book. Not by convenience. Not by circumstance. God has spoken. And when this book tells us to do something that will break our hearts, then you will know if you really believe this book. This book sometimes tells us to do very hard things that will cost us. But will you obey it or will you do what most people do and that's try to reinterpret it? Will you just try to put things in it that it doesn't say? Will you just try to take things out of it that it does say? But God has spoken and we have a choice to believe and obey. Will we bow and obey to what God has spoken or are we just going to make it up as we go? You see, Leviticus 13, 14, and 15 tells us how comprehensive this law is. We can't look at all of it. I'm just going to read some stuff that may seem very boring to you, but, but I promise you, please hang on. We are headed somewhere. This defilement is super contagious. In Leviticus 15, I'm just going to read some stuff to you. Just listen, because I'm, you have to have this for my last point. You just have to follow this. Leviticus 15, he says this, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. This moreover shall be his uncleanness and his discharge. It is uncleanness whether his body allows his discharge to flow or whether his body obstructs his discharge. Every bed on which the man with the discharge lies becomes clean, and everything on which he sits becomes unclean. You see this? You see the compounding nature of this? Not only just me, but whatever I touch, whatever I go, it's, it's all being defiled. It's all being affected. Anyone, moreover, who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe and be unclean until evening. And whoever sits on the thing which the man with the discharge has been sitting shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean till evening. And whoever touches the man with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Or if the man with the discharge spits on one who is unclean, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Every saddle in which the man with the discharge rides becomes unclean. Whoever touches any of the things which were under him shall be unclean until evening. The one who carries them shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Likewise, whomever the man with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water, so wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. However, an earthenware vessel on which the man discharged us shall be broken, and every wooden vessel shall be rinsed in water. The main point is simply this. When we become defiled, everything we touch becomes defiled too. But notice, God still has a desire to dwell with us. He's created you and me to be in relationship with Him. 
We disobey and become defiled and forever separated from Him and can never do anything about it. But this is where the whole book of Numbers is taking us. You see, sin's defilement has personal consequences and sin defilement has powerful communication. But, but watch this. Sin's defilement now calls for a permanent cure. See, not only is this, this text practical, it's helping stop disease. It's not only theological telling us about who God is, but this is very Christological and that this whole thing has been pointing us to Jesus. You see, what we need to learn from Numbers chapter 5 and all the Old Testament is what was written in Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained them the things written about himself in the Scriptures. In other words, now in the book of Moses, do we not only learn all that we've just learned, and we saw it in Corinthians, it's written for our example, but there was a rock that was Christ in the Old Testament, and there's a rock that is Christ in the New Testament, and that's what this whole thing is pointing to. You're saying, well, well, tell me. I mean, how is this pointing to Jesus? So remember, leprosy, discharges, and death. Do you remember the story? We just read it in Numbers 5. We read it in Leviticus. You remember, right? Lepers, discharges, and what? Dead people. You remember it? So let's go then to the New Testament and see how Jesus handles those things. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with what? And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me what? And what did Jesus do? He reached out his hands and did what? No, Jesus, don't touch him. Jesus, don't touch him. He has leprosy. You will become unclean. You will become defiled. Please don't touch that man. Please don't do it, Jesus. I'm willing. And he reaches out his hand and he touched him and immediately the leprosy left him. See, what I need you to know today is that Jesus is the only one. When he touches your defilement, he doesn't become unclean. He makes you clean. The undefiled in Jesus never becomes defiled the defiled only become undefiled when they are touched by Jesus. See, these laws told you what to do if you had become undefiled, but not how to become undefiled. They told you what to do if you became unclean, but not how to get clean. The priests can't make people clean. They can only deal with uncleanness. Nobody can make anybody clean but Jesus. He does what the law couldn't do. So he deals with leprosy. Then in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 44, Jesus was returning. The people welcomed him for they'd been waiting for him. And a man named Jairus came and was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began urging him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 year old, and she was what? But as he went, the crowds were pressing in. Now, now here we got death. Now watch this. Now, now we get a discharge. And a woman who had suffered a chronic flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up from behind him and did what? Jesus, please don't let her touch you. 
Jesus, we know who she is. This is that lady. She's been struggling 12 years. Don't let her get near you because if you do, you become defiled. Jesus, please. You're our only hope. You're our Messiah. Don't do this. Please move. Get out of the way. There she is. Please. And don't go help Jairus and his daughter. If you touch that body, you will become so unclean. Jesus, don't do it. But let's keep reading. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And they were all denying him. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing on you. But Jesus said, somebody did touch me. And I was aware that what? (laughs) And when the woman saw that she had not escaped, she came trembling and fell down before him and admitted in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she had immediately been what? You see, when... You come into contact with Jesus. He doesn't become defiled. You become clean. Let's pick up the story now about the dead girl. What happened there? While he was speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he said, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe because she'll be made well. And when he came to the house, he did not anyone to enter except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. And they were all weeping and mourning for her. But he said what? Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. However, Jesus, you're going to touch her. Please don't touch her. Number says, you can't touch a dead body. Oh God, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't touch her. He took her by the hand and spoke forcefully and said, child, arise. And her spirit, what? And she got up immediately and ordered that something be given to eat. And her parents were amazed and he instructed them to tell nobody what happened. You see, He touched her and he healed her. Listen to me. When you touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't become defiled. You become undefiled. When you get in the presence of Jesus with all your defilement, you can't make him dirty. He makes you clean. These told you what to do if you become undefiled, but not how to become undefiled. The priest can't make people alive. He can only deal with death and dead people and those who touch dead people. He can't do. The priest can't do. The law can't do. Only what Jesus can do. And that is that Jesus is the only one that can remove our defilement. Who is this Jesus? Well, he's better than Moses. He's better than the priest. He's even better than the high priest. He touched the disease and didn't get it, but now they are undiseased. He touched discharges and wasn't affected by them, but now they are clean. He touched death and he did not die, but they were raised from the dead. This is the Son of God who takes on our defilement that we may go free. As my preaching professor once said, he said, if you're going to bring people to Jesus, you got to know he knows what to do when you bring them. Jesus knows what to do with people when they come to him and they feel undefiled. And they feel, I mean, they feel defiled. 
When the weight of your sin, listen to me, and in the preaching and proclamation of God's word, this happens every Sunday. When you hear the word of God spoken of you, the Holy Spirit begins to take that word and convict you of your defilement. And when you feel that defilement in a room like this, and you say, then I am so unclean, and you don't even know the half of my life. You don't know about my life. You don't know what I've done. There's no way I could be forgiven. And you feel the weight of your defilement and sin, and it's just too much. There's just too much sin. There's just too much shame. I don't think anyone can heal my defilement. It's in that moment that the Holy Spirit reaches out to you. And by faith, if you will let him touch you, you will find that you don't defile Jesus. You walk out of here completely clean. Jesus, don't touch me here. I'm ashamed of this one. He doesn't become unclean. You become clean. You see, you've heard it before, right? What can wash away my sin? How can Jesus do this? Well, let's look in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 13. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned where? Therefore, Jesus also suffered where? Outside the gate. That he might sanctify people through his own blood. So then, let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. You see, there's something better than the ceremonial law. Jesus was taken outside the camp. Numbers chapter 5 says that all those who are defiled have to go outside the camp. Then you have to think about this theologically. So how can Jesus touch the unclean? How can the undefiled and sinless touch the unclean and make them clean? He says, because Jesus says, Father, I want to bear their reproach in their place. Jesus suffered outside the camp so that we didn't have to go outside the camp. How can he touch the unclean and they become clean? Because Jesus says, Father, I will go outside the camp for them. To be outside the camp means to be outside the presence of God. And that's what defilement deserves. So on the cross, Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was on the hill of Golgotha outside the camp becoming our defilement for us. Father, I know in your great love, Jesus says, the only way your grace and favor will be known to man is if someone bears their reproach outside the camp, then I will go outside the camp. I will be cut off because I love them. I will take on their defilement. I will be cut off so they don't have to. I will go outside so they don't have to. And Jesus goes outside Jerusalem to a place called Golgotha. There he was forsaken, cut off from the presence of his father, cut off from his family, cut off from his friends. He bore my He became my sin. He bore my defilement. And Jesus Christ wants you to receive the blessing found in number six. After God teaches you about defilement and points you to the one who can take it away, he tells you in number six, this is what God wants for you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. That's what Jesus wants for everybody in this room. 
the sinless, undefiled Son of God heard the Father say, I will turn my face from you. I'm not going to bless you, Jesus. I'm not going to have peace on you and mercy on you. You're going to experience my wrath. You will not have my face looking upon you. You will receive my wrath. I'm not going to give you my peace, Jesus. I'm going to give you my judgment. And Jesus did that for us. So listen, when you share the gospel with anybody, there's nothing he can't touch and make clean. You just got to know that. There's no disease in your soul. Listen to me this morning. There's no disease in your soul that Jesus can't heal. He bore it outside the camp on Calvary so that you and I could be with him forever. So here's the mystery. If I really knew that that's what happened to me at Calvary, wouldn't I want to tell as many people as I possibly could where I got clean? And that's why I take the time to remind you that God is very holy. Sin is very, very, very dangerous. But Jesus changes everything. So I ask you today to go to the lepers, go to the dead and trespasses and bloodstained with sin and guilt, and just simply tell them about Jesus. So Nate, I wonder if you and those who would play would come. So you remember that I told you this earlier that I was in Kentucky and I saw this man, right? And he spat and it was really disgusting. Well, after the, we had kind of decided that we were going to leave the venue because now my stomach was upset, the same place, the same concert, across from the spitting guy, enters into another guy. And this guy is raggedy. He stinks. We can smell him all the way across the other side. He must have been homeless. I don't know. I didn't want to judge. He tried dancing, but he absolutely had no skills. He was hopping around just drunk, doing his thing. And I'm going to tell you, not pridefully, not even... I'm just going to tell you that I tried to avoid eye contact with him because I was very uncomfortable with him. But it was at that moment that an older African-American lady went to this man and she reached out to him and she took him by the hands and she put her arms around him and she began to dance with him. You see, this lady taught me what Jesus does with our defilement. He enters into it. He takes our shame on him. And he teaches us to dance to the tune of grace. And there you are, the music is playing and you're defiled, right? And everyone else, they're defiled too. But then Jesus can enter into your life this morning. And here's what Jesus may ask you. Can I have this dance? That's who he is, church. Can I tell you this morning that if you have never been cleansed of your sin, you are still defiled, and God one day will have to tell you outside the camp with you. You may be here today and you say, well, I'm really not that defiled, and I'm here today to tell you, you've got a, a sickness that's worse than leprosy. 
You've got a discharge that's greater than anything in the Bible. And you, my friends, are spiritually dead. And everything you touch affects everyone else. But the good news is, is that Jesus loves you and wants to change everything. So, would you stay to your feet with me? I'm going to sneak down here to the front after I pray, and maybe if there's anybody in the room today who's never given your life to Christ, never asking to forgive you of your sin because you just didn't think he loved you, you just never knew how much he would do for you, just come down here and grab me by the hand. There'll be some others down here, and let us help you walk out of here knowing that you can be whiter than snow. Others of you, you may want to intercede for some other people. Others of you, you may just say, man, this message has been amazing, and I just want to connect with my Lord and praise Him for it. I don't know what you want to do, but I'm going to pray, and then you come as we sing. Father, in your precious Son's name, I pray today that in this moment you would touch somebody who's just never been touched and change their forever life. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Heal and set free.